trial of Jesus, and uh, you're going to see some brutal parts of what Jesus went through for you and for me, and so just prepare your hearts for a heavy message, and, and I, have a, uh, I have a goal, I hope it's God's goal for this, for this message, and that is this, that we, as we go through this message today, would grow in our love for God, and that we would appreciate so much of what He did for us. Because he went as our substitute. One of the things that is a, a belief that we have, a doctrine of the Christian faith, is called substitutional atonement. And what substitutional atonement means, it means that for us to be at one with God, to be atoned for, there had to be a substitute. That Jesus went as our place. He went and suffered for us. He went and paid the penalty for our sins. He didn't just pay for it like somebody would go pay for your meal like oh you know let me get that no he actually suffered because we were the ones that were supposed to suffer so i titled this message the incredible love of jesus and i think you're going to see his great love for us as we go through this message so we are going to be mostly in john 18 but we're going to back up a few verses in john 18 so you can be turning there Pastor Brian took us and finished chapter 18 last week, but he kind of gave you a little teaser that, that I would be coming and talking a little bit more about Barabbas at the end of 18. And so that's where we're going to pick it up at. We're going to start in John 18, verse 38. What is truth, retorted Pilate. And with this, he went out again to the Jews gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. You're going to actually find Pilate saying that many times. But in this, it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now, Barabbas Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. Let me just talk a little bit about Barabbas. He's mentioned in all four of the Gospels. His, his name means son of the father. And it really is a picture of you and me. We were the guilty ones. And you're going to find that Barabbas is going to be released, but he's, he's guilty. It says there he was uh, guilty of a, an uprising. That isn't quite strong enough. It's like an insurrection. But if you look at the other gospels, it's going to say that he was a murderer and a robber. Now, I'm about to interject an opinion here, and whenever I have an opinion, I'm going to let you know it's an opinion because it's not like you can't say this is for sure truth from God's Word. So I'm always careful to do that, but sometimes I draw opinions from the Scriptures. That's okay, isn't it? As long as you don't teach it like this is the way it is. We know there was three crosses. We know that there was one on each side of Jesus with a robber on each side. I personally think, opinion, that that cross of Jesus was meant for Barabbas. He was probably already been sentenced. He was already probably ready to go because he was a convenient one that, that Pilate brought out and said, oh, I could release this guy here. And I think Pilate, because he knew Jesus was innocent, I think he thought, oh, they'll never pick Barabbas. I'm going to release one. So I'm going to, I'm going to name the, the Osama bin Laden of the day. They won't choose him. And that's the one that they asked for instead of Jesus. It just shows you how these people were so bent on Jesus being the one 
to be uh, crucified. Look what it says in Matthew twenty-seven twenty on the screen. It says, but the chief priests and the elders, here's a key word, persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. They persuaded the crowd. We have to be careful. We live in a culture today that's ungodly. A culture that's moving further and further away from the the Christian values that we find in Scripture. And if we're not careful, we will be persuaded with fine-sounding arguments. With, well, with, uh, there's no absolute truths. You know, everybody kind of has their own values, their own truth, and so forth. And so here's the first uh, point for us today is that we need biblical convictions to not be influenced by others with ungodly motives. We have to be very careful because people are going to try to influence you just like these religious leaders did to this crowd. They persuaded them to ask for Barabbas. Now, why would that be? Why could people be easily persuaded? Because many times there's people who are closet Christians. They're a believer, but they're not really very vocal about it. They're quiet. I remember growing up, my family, uh, they had, you know, probably like a lot of your families, there's two things you don't talk about. Religion and what? Politics. Now today, everybody's willing to talk about them, but boy, in those days, it was very, very private. And a lot of people still kind of carry that. You know, what we read in the scriptures, Jesus has shouted from the housetop. He never wanted this to be private. But yet, there are people who are private. And when that happens, they can open themselves up to be easily persuaded. Look what this uh, passage says in John 12, verse 42. I have it from the New Living Translation. It says, many people did believe in him, however, including some Jewish leaders. Well, that's a good thing, right? But then uh, look what it says. But they wouldn't admit it for fear that the Pharisees would expel them from the synagogue. They are no different today. There are people who believe, but out of fear, they don't, want to, they don't want to say the wrong thing. They don't want to say anything. They don't want to be expelled from certain groups, or you know, they don't want to be like made fun of at work or at school. We have to be very careful. If we don't carry strongly our biblical convictions, people will influence, just like these religious leaders did. Now, as we think about Barabbas a little bit more here, I want you to repeat something with me. I am Barabbas. Would you repeat that? I am Barabbas. And do you know why you're Barabbas and I'm Barabbas? Because we're the guilty one that was released, set free, while the innocent one, Jesus, died in our place. You know, throughout the Old Testament, there's lots of great prophecies that point to Jesus. In fact, most of the Old Testament is somehow pointing to Jesus. One great, and this is your homework, okay? I don't always give homework, but uh, I feel like giving it home, homework to you today. Uh, and it's a book of the Bible you probably rarely read, the book of Leviticus, okay? Leviticus chapter 16. It talks about that on, on the day of the atonement, the high priest, one time a year, they would take two goats, and one goat 
the priest would lay his hands on the head of that goat and they would confess all the sins of Israel over that one goat. And then they would chase it out of the city, chase it out into the country, remove it far from the... And they would call that the scapegoat. You've all heard the term scapegoat. Now you know where it came from, Leviticus 16. The scapegoat, because they said that was the guilty one. They confessed all the sins and they chased it out. It was released. The other goat, the innocent one there, they sacrificed and it died. You know, it's an, it's an Old Testament picture of what we're reading right here about Barabbas and Jesus. But really, it's beyond Barabbas and Jesus. It's about you and I. We're the guilty ones set free because somebody substitutes. Somebody took our sins and they died for us. Amen? Just another picture to appreciate. So this is the incredible love. See this next point. The incredible love is the innocent dying for the guilty. The innocent dying for the guilty. Romans 5.8 says this, But God demonstrates his own love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Look at that from Romans 5.8 again. Look at the part I underlined. God demonstrates his own love for us. How did he demonstrate his own love for us? That while we were still sinners, not while we had our act all put together, not while we were got you know really cleaned up and so forth. No, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You don't have to get your act together. You don't have to become like this, oh, very you know cleaned up person, all free from all your addictions and your sins and everything to come to Christ. No, He wants you to come just as you are. And as I've been really meditating on this whole thing about the innocent and the, and the guilty and, and how Jesus was so innocent and how he gave his life for us, the guilty one. And I got thinking about this. Um, we have three kids. They're all married. Two daughters and a son. I'm just going to pick on our son right now. Although I would do the same thing for our daughters or even their spouses is that if my son was in a really bad situation, I would give my life for my son. If it meant that he could live, if we got some situation and you, you could come up with all the different scenarios. But let's say if the situation was one of us could live and one of us were going to die, I would give my life for my son. I love my family. I'm willing to do that. But I want you to think about it a little bit more. We just read in the, probably read in the papers or in the uh, news this week, the Parkland school shooter, you know, the very evil person that killed all those students down near Fort Lauderdale, Nicholas Cruz. Would I give my life for him? It would take a whole lot greater love than, than what it would be for my son. Because he's an extremely evil person, a very guilty person. For me to give my life to him would be, oh, it would have to be a whole nother level of love. But let me tell you another level would be for me to give my son, Luke, and say, I'm willing to give my son's life for this man. And that's what the father did for you and me. He gave his son Sometimes people wonder, well, why didn't the father come? You know, it was actually a harder thing for the father to give his own son 
for us. And we're not like we had it all together. We're the guilty ones. And this is that incredible love, the guilty set free while the innocent one pays the price. Again, that's that substitution. Okay, so now let's go into chapter 19. It says, Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. Now, I'm going to talk about that for a little bit. Some of your verses might say, had him scourged, meaning the same thing here. Uh, Pilate knew Jesus was innocent. We just read a moment ago where it says that he did not think that there was anything against it, you know, his charges against him. It says, I find no base for a charge against him in verse 38. So he had him flogged. Likely Paul, uh, Pilate was thinking, I got to get a way out of this. So maybe if I, if I really treat him terribly, they'll, they'll feel sorry for him and they'll let him go. Because remember, they were constantly looking for him to die. So what was flogging? I'm about to get a little graphic here. And it's probably not near as, it, it, I'm not going to be near as bad as it probably really was, okay? But sometimes we can get a wrong picture of what Jesus went through. We can only picture like him hanging there on the cross. Flogging was they took something called a flagellum. A flagellum was a, a wooden handle with leather strips on it, long leather strips made to be like a whip. And on the ends of the leather strips, they would embed pieces of bone, sharp bone, along with metal, maybe pieces of lead or sharp metal. And they would take the person that was convicted or the person they were wanting to punish, they would tie them to some type of post with their back exposed, and they would whip them across the back. Many people would die just from the flogging. They would say, well, you know, the number of judgment was 40, so we're going to have a little bit of mercy, so we're only going to do it 39 times. And they would do it. And what they were also trying to do as they would do is they were trying to extract a confession. And the more that the person would resist confessing, the harder it would get. They said that it would rip the muscles. Sometimes it would get to the point where even internal organs could be exposed because of how brutal these, this form of torture was. So we can just read this verse 1 and say, oh, they flogged Jesus. And we really didn't think, Ah, oh, then okay, let's just move on. But I want you to see, this was prophesied in the book of Isaiah 700 years before it took place. Look at Isaiah chapter 50, verse 6, says this. I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. You get a little bit more of a picture of what took place there when you read that. And we know in some of the other gospels, it talked about they would cover his face and they would beat him. He didn't even have a chance to kind of react. And they would say, now tell us, who prophesy, who, who hit you? Kind of a way to mock him. You think about what it must have felt like for, for them to pull his hair of his beard out. Look at the next passage from, from Isaiah. Chapter 52, verse 14 says this. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness. You know, sometimes we can get the the picture of Jesus like what's kind of sometimes displayed on 
people's walls or whatever. Like, there's Jesus. He's got a crown of thorns on his head, and maybe we see a drop of blood coming down here or there. This paints a very different picture, doesn't it? This is what our Lord Jesus went through. The type of suffering that Jesus went through is beyond anything we can even imagine. We don't have that type of brutal punishment here in, in the United States. But this is what the Lord went through. And as we think about that, I feel like this next statement, I believe, is one of the, the most powerful points out of this message for you. And I want this to really go down deep. If you don't write anything else down, this is one that's worthy writing down is this. Jesus' suffering shows us the seriousness of our sin and his incredible love for us. Just how serious our sin was and how much he loves us, that he was willing to go through all this for you and me, knowing that we were ones who had, had sinned. And, and you might say, well, you know, I wasn't even born then. Well, he died for all of mankind. He knew, our, he knew our situation because of the sin nature that we all have, that all of us have sinned. All of us had turned our back on God, whether we hadn't been born yet or not. He knew it was going to happen, and he knew the price of that. The price of it was going to be eternity spent where we were going to be punished. We were going to spend eternity in hell receiving punishment for our sins. And he came on that rescue mission, so we didn't need to. Verse 2, the soldiers, they twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him with a purple robe, purple being kind of a, a color of royalty. They kind of mocked him as a king with a crown and a robe. And then they went up to him again and said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they slapped him in the face. I want you to see something in verse 2 there about the crown of thorns. Maybe some of you have never really thought about this, but crown of thorns. I don't know about you, but I, I, I got so tired of thorns. We had this beautiful bougainvillea in our yard and got rid of that thing about two years ago. Now I enjoy looking at the neighbor's bougainvillea because I don't have to do any trimming. Every time I trim that thing, thorns hurt. Man, they were so sharp and I would try so hard and it would get like cuts and scratches all over me. But Jesus took this crown on his head that they've poked in. I'm sure it was very, very painful. But where were thorns first mentioned in the Bible? It came from Genesis 3. When Adam and Eve sinned, God pronounced a curse over the earth. Part of that curse was women in childbearing are going to be in pain. And men, by the sweat of your brow, you're going to work the land. Now, work is actually work. And it said, out of the ground is going to come thorns and thistles. See, I don't care how hard you try, you're always going to have weeds. It's part of the curse of this earth. Last time I checked, women still have pain in childbirth, right? This earth is under a curse. The thorns that were put on Jesus was symbolic of the curse but now something special has happened. While the earth is cursed, we as Christ followers don't have to be cursed. Look what it says in Galatians 3 up on the screen. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hung on a pole. 
One of the things that he has done when he went to that cross was he took the curse, our personal curse, upon us. Sometimes people come up to us as pastors and they say something, things like, you know, pray for me. There's this generational curse over me. Well, if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, that curse is broken. You're not under some generational curse. Now, I can't speak for you if you don't have Jesus Christ in your life, but it says there he redeemed us from the curse of the law. By him dying, he took that curse. And I think the, the, the crown of thorns kind of is symbolic. It kind of represents that those thorns represent a curse. So here's the next thing. is incredible love is Jesus was cursed for our freedom. We have that freedom. Now, the earth is still under a curse, but we don't have to be. Amen? Verse 4. Once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, Look, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. Okay? That's the second time he said that. And when Jesus came out, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. See, I think what what Pilate, there's kind of a difference of opinion on why did Pilate say, Here is the man. There are some people who think that maybe he was saying that, referring to like, man, this guy is a man's man. Look what all he's gone through, and he's still standing, he's still enduring it. This guy is a, a rugged, pretty tough man. That could be. But then there's another opinion, and I, I kind of tend to follow this one, and that is that by him saying, here is the man, what Pilate was trying to do was he was trying to get them to sympathize with Jesus. That He was saying, look what this man has gone through. Hasn't he gone through enough? Hasn't he been punished enough? Can't we release him? Remember, he said now the second time, I find no basis for a charge against him. Here's the man. You see how he's been He's been scourged and flogged. Now he's got the crown. He, he's disfigured. But you, is that going to satisfy these religious leaders? Well, we'll read and find out what they say. It says there in verse 6, As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify him, crucify him. But Pilate answered, You take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. Now, that's the third time that he said that. But while Pilate knew, and Pilate had a free choice in this, he's about to get a warning also. Look what it says in Matthew 27, verse 19. It says, While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. Don't have anything to do with that, what? Innocent man. See, she knew even. For I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. It was as if, even though we have a free choice, God still provides warnings to us to keep us from doing the wrong thing, which kind of lends itself to our next point, and that is incredible love that God gives for us. Incredible love gives us free choice, but warns of wrong decisions. Now, that's another one to wrap your minds around. He does not want us as robots. He wants us to be able to have free choice, that we can choose this or choose that, but... He also warns us 
about the consequences of wrong decisions. Some of you might be thinking, well, you know, I know I'm not living according to the Scripture. I know I'm not following God. I know, but I seem to be getting away with it. Nothing bad's happening to me. Just wait. There are consequences. God says, I will not be mocked. Whatever a man sows, he will reap. And one thing I know from my agricultural days, you can sow seeds. You don't reap it right away, but at some point in time, you will reap it. So God warns all of us. He warned Pilate. Isn't that hard to believe? But you're going to find Pilate, is not, he's not going to heed the warning. He's not going to make the right decision. But I want us to look at these points on the screen. How can we make sure that we are heeding warnings? How can we make sure we're making good decisions with our free choice? First of all, we need to listen to God and other trusted people. Don't just assume you've got all the right answers. Next is desire to please God over people. There are going to be times where it's easy to go with the flow with everybody's doing and everybody wants to do it, but our first desire has to put God first to please Him. And next is don't compromise by avoiding conflict or taking the easy way out. Sometimes when we take a stand, we take a stand for truth, we take a stand for right, that means some people are not going to be favorable to us, you know? But we have to be willing to stand on the side of truth. Don't take that easy way out. So let's keep going. Verse 7, the Jewish leaders insisted, we have a law, and according to that law, he must die. See, they weren't satisfied with anything else They wanted him to die. And what was that law? They thought he was, Jesus was blasphemous because he was claiming to be God. Look what it says there. Because he claimed to be the son of God. By being the son of God, you're claiming to be God as well. You're the son of God. Now, the cults say that Jesus never claimed to be God, but we've read that over and over in the book of John, the different claims that Jesus has, that he is truly God. And here's another one. They were willing to crucify him because they knew his claims. They knew what he was claiming to be. and that was a, So it wasn't about just being the king of the Jews. Now it was really about his claims to be God. But you're going to see this is going to ratchet it up for Pilate. Look what it says in verse 8. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid. Ooh, now what am I dealing with? It's no longer just the king of the Jews. Now, could this really be the Son of God? Could this be God here in the flesh? And he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from, he asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me, Pilate said? Don't you realize I have the power either to free you or to crucify you? You know, this had to be really... Had to really mess with Pilate's mind. I'm sure he'd overseen a lot of trials before, a lot of people that were even going to be executed, including the two other thieves that were going to be crucified on each side of Jesus. And probably what happened, probably in every other case, they would have begged for mercy. Oh, please forgive me. Uh, Let me go and I will do this and I will do that. Oh, have mercy on me. No, no, no. I'm sure he, and here's Jesus. He's just standing there silent. And Jesus, Pilate's like, don't you realize I have the authority over you to either release you or to crucify you? 
Look what it says in Isaiah 53, 7. Another prophetic verse. You see all these, so many of these prophetic things are coming out of Isaiah. It says, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. You want to talk about incredible love? Here's another example of it. And that's on the screen. You see incredible love. Jesus showed respect even when being falsely accused, being attacked. He showed respect. You know, for for us, there are times where we're going to be accused of things, we're going to be falsely accused of things. Now, if you if you were if you were guilty, then you admit it, right? So you can move on, learn from it. But what about if you're falsely accused? Look what Jesus did here. He was just silent. You know, it takes two people to argue, don't you? Sometimes somebody can be in your face about something. Sometimes it's just best to be quiet. Somebody writes something nasty. Just let it go. Here's what I've, I've learned. Ah, I'm not perfect in it. Sometimes I'm, I'm not. I'm definitely not perfect in the thoughts. You know what I'm saying. But I've, I've, I've just realized God is a better defender than I am. Give it to God. Let him defend. I don't know what battles you're going through today. Some of you are probably going through some, some tough stuff with people. We get it sometimes from some family members who are, you know, poking our buttons and so forth. And I, I learned long ago, I can't stop people from poking my buttons, but I can change the reaction. It does not have to be anger back. Jesus showed respect in this situation. But he is going to open his mouth here because he is going to talk to Pilate about his authority. So look at this, verse 11. Jesus answered, You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. What was Pilate saying there? Hey, you might think you're the governor. You might think you're in charge. You might think you have authority over me. But no, that authority was given to you by God. And you're sinning right now, Pilate. By what you're doing, you're sinning. Now, there is one who has a greater sin, the one who handed me over. Some people think that he was talking about Judas. Some people are thinking he's talking about the religious leaders. Could be both. They had a greater sin for handing Jesus over. But, but look what it says there at the very end of verse 11. It says, over to me is greater of a greater sin. He was implying, Pilate, you're sinning right now. See, Pilate thought he was in power. But we have to always remember that God is on the throne. He's, he's in power. Every knee is going to bow someday to Jesus. Amen. So here's our next point is all human authorities are under the control of God. Look what it says in Romans 13:1. It says let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. So how does this play out? Let's step back from 2,000 years ago to today. All authority has been given by God. We just read it. We know that Paul was writing to Christians in Rome. 
who was over those who was over the Roman Empire at that time when Paul wrote that was Caesar Nero, one of the worst Caesars. He would take Christians, because Christians were saying they were the light of the world, and he was mocking the Christians, saying, oh, you say you're the light of the world? He would dip them in hot wax, put a wick on them, and he would light them on fire in his garden. He would have them on a pole as Christians burning, saying, yeah, look, you Christians are the light of the world. Other reports said he would ride naked in his chariot through his garden, mocking the Christians who were, who were burning. That's the leader Paul's telling Christians all authority has been given from God. And what's, what does it say there is that we, we are to um, let everyone be subject to governing authorities. That's a hard one in this day and age too, isn't it? But it's not quite as bad as Caesar Nero. But here's what I'm, I'm here to tell you. We, we as U.S. citizens, we should vote. Some of you may not be U.S. citizens. That's fine, too. But here's the thing. We exercise our right. But you know what? We pray because we have authority that's even above the human authorities. Like if, if something goes and your candidate doesn't get in, it's not the end of the world. God is still on the throne. And we have to trust that God's ultimate will is going to prevail. Now, sometimes people will say, well, what about so-and-so? You know, they're in power. and well, so, You know what? I, in the Old Testament, sometimes God would allow a bad leader to be in charge as a form of judgment to the people. So we never know when is God bringing a judgment. Now, why would God bring a judgment to people? Because he's trying to wake them up. That we are on the wrong track. Sometimes God will use even a bad situation to wake people up. That he, his ultimate thing is he'd rather us wake up, even if it's in a bad situation, so we can give our lives in order in following Jesus Christ. So, you know, I just have to say that I, don't, I like politics. I like to you know, be involved in it. But there's something way much higher than that. And that's God. Don't you forget it. No matter what happens on Tuesday, don't you forget who's on the throne, okay? Verse 12. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free. (laughs) He was scared of him. Why would he be so scared of Pilate? Well, he lived in a day and age where they had a lot of Greek mythology. And part of Greek mythology is they had these Greek gods like Zeus and and they thought that they would actually become a man and, and walk amongst the people. And he, he may have thought that, oh, maybe Jesus really is God. And he, he was kind of fearful of it. So he was looking for a way to set Jesus free. But look what it says. But the Jewish leaders kept shouting, if you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. Now they found Pilate's hot button, his weakness. Pilate was, had been in hot water with, with uh, Caesar. There had been some insurrectionist type of things, and, and it kind of Pilate was worried about his own job, and now they found his weakness. You know what? You, if you release this man who calls himself a king, we're going to get, the word's going to get back to Pilate, going to get back to Caesar. Pilate, your, your career is done. He's going to remove you. Basically, is what they were saying. So, 
Look, look at this uh, statement from Oswald Chambers. It's a, it's a very powerful quote. It says this, the remarkable, thi- the remarkable thing about God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you don't fear God, you fear everything else. How can we live today to where we don't fear things? We fear God. We believe he's in charge. What happened to Pilate? He didn't fear God, so he began to fear all the other stuff that could happen. And so he's going to give in to this this pressure because he didn't have the fear of God. You and I should have the fear of God. And that will keep us being fearful. And if we're fearful of other things, we, we will not make the same bad decisions. We'll stand on the side of truth. We'll believe that God will defend us. He'll take care of us. Verse 13. We're going to close out our section for today. It says, When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as a stone pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was the day before the Passover um, Sabbath. So it was on Friday, the Sabbath was, was on Saturday. The, the Passover really celebrated over a whole week period, you know. And it was about noon. And a lot of your versions will say 6, in, in 6 a.m. or 6 in the morning. That's a better translation of it. It wasn't noon as we look at it. They had different ways of looking at time and so forth. And let me just go through the chronology of the trial and the crucifixion. 6 in the morning, he's going to be uh, the conviction of crucifixion. Nine in the morning is when they start the the crucifixion. We know this from other verses in the Bible. At 12 noon, it goes dark. And it's dark until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon is when Jesus is going to say it is finished and he's going to give up his spirit and he's going to die. So that's kind of the, the timeline, really from nine in the morning till Three is the crucifixion, but he's going to receive his conviction right here at about six. So don't be too confused about that noon. It says, here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews, but they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king, Pilate asked? We have no king but Caesar, the chief priest answered. That's how low they got. These people, they didn't like the Roman government. But now they're declaring their allegiance to Caesar. And finally, Pilate handed him over to be crucified, so the soldiers took charge of Jesus. The last passage I want to share with you today is this, from Matthew 27 again. It says in verse 24 and 25, it says, "When When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but then instead an uproar was starting, he took water washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It's your responsibility. And all the people answered, his blood is on us and on our children. Look at that last part, verse 25 there, where the people said, his blood is on us and on our children. Now I want you to think about this for a moment. The blood of Jesus is either going to be on you as judgment or as freedom. One is judgment where you have rejected Jesus Christ, so his blood is going to be on you. You're going to be the guilty then. Or 
His blood is going to be on us that he paid the price for us. He went as our substitute. He forgave us. Really, the choice is ours. And in a moment, before we take communion, I'm going to give you an opportunity to make that choice. This is such an important choice. We're not here to manipulate you, twist your arm. It's a choice you have to make. And most of the people here, or those you watch online, we have made that choice. We are following Jesus Christ. But some of you may not have yet. Don't let the blood of Jesus remain on you in judgment. Like these people. Pilate thought he could just wash his hands and be done with it. It was ceremonial. It didn't cleanse one single thing from him. He was still guilty of that sin. So here's the last point. Incredible love. Jesus suffered for us. Betrayal. Rejection. Injustice. Mocking. Abuse. Pain and death. All what Jesus did for us. He suffered for us in all these different areas. That's incredible love, isn't it? That's how much he loves you and me. Don't let the enemy ever lie to you and say, well, you know, you know he loves you, Pastor Dave. You're a pastor. You don't know my past. Part of the reason I, I get so motivated to do things for Jesus is because I know how much he's forgiven me. I know how terrible I was. And it's out of that that motivates me to want to serve him, to give my life for him for the rest of my life. is because of all what I was guilty of, and he forgave me and cleansed me. And he wants to do that in your life. Will you let him? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for your great love for us. Thank you, Jesus, for, for suffering for us in so many different ways. In our story, we didn't even get to where you got, got to the cross yet, but you were still suffering for us, even in this trial. Help us to grow in our love for you. Help us to appreciate you and be motivated to serve you back because of all that you've done for us. Help us to never minimize what you did for us. Help us to never take it lightly. It is heavy. It's because it was such a great price that was paid for our heavy sins. And I pray right now, if there's anyone who's listening to this message, whether you're there online or here in Melbourne or watching it later after the fact, and you know you need to give your life to Jesus Christ. You know you need to have His blood over you to cleanse you and forgive you of all of your sins and not be on you as judgment. And you want to give your life to Jesus Christ. Let me give you that opportunity by praying this. It's not about the exact words of this prayer, but it's about the meaning of it in your heart. You're praying to God. You're not joining the church. What you're doing is you're, you're asking God for that forgiveness. So just pray this now. Heavenly Father, I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm the guilty one. But I know Jesus Christ came as the innocent one. And that Jesus Christ came and suffered and died for me. And he rose from the dead. Please forgive me all my sins. Because I put my faith and trust in you, Lord. I confess today that Jesus Christ is my Lord and my Savior. 
I want to change my old way of life and follow you from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen.